in the middle of a series. How many people love in this series Exceptional Faith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been amazing. And he's been doing such a good job. And uh, he, he said, hey, I want you to um, do the, the third week. And I said, that'd be awesome. I'd love to. Um, and I just said, what are you going to do? He's like, oh, well, I just, I don't know. I don't have anything to do. You know, he wouldn't have any, he's not preaching somewhere, I don't think. And, and I said, okay. I said, well, I'll do it, but I don't want you here. Like, <laughs> I'll do it, but you can't be sitting right there the whole time. Because uh, what happens is, um, like, like if he's not here, he'll listen to the message on, you know, on Monday when it gets posted on the channel or the app or whatever, and, and then he'll come and we'll talk and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll evaluate and we'll talk about things that we could have done better or talk about little points, hey, I really like this. And so, but, but if he's here, then Saturday night, I get a phone call and he's like, how do you think it went? And I'm like, I thought it went well. I, I mean, I got some things I know in my mind I want to tweak so that it, you know, tomorrow's a little bit better. He goes, yeah, 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 me too, me too. Here's what I think you could have done. And he'll begin to start telling me, well, I would have done this with that, and I would have taken it to this place, and you could also use this scripture, and you could tie it in this way. And if you go backwards, you can find the meaning of this. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't write, type this fast. So I just said, hey, you can't be here because I just need to be able to just roll, not think about it, and we'll have a good time. And so uh, come Monday, we'll do whatever we want. So it'll be good. Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Exceptional Faith, and uh, what's been really cool is uh, pastors broken down the word faith. There's an acronym. Every letter of the word stands for something, and the first week we learned about the letter F in faith, and that's find your strength, and if you're going to have exceptional faith, you need to find your strength, and we looked at the story of Hannah, and Hannah was in a situation that didn't look the way that she wanted it to look, and but Hannah had a prayer, and she said, I will rejoice. Why, the situation was good? No, 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 she, the situation wasn't good. But she said, I will rejoice because the Lord is my strength. And here's what we need to do if we're going to have exceptional faith. We need to realize where our strength is. That your strength is not in yourself. Your strength is not in your talents. Your strength is not in your gifts. Your strength is not in your money. Your strength needs to be in the Lord. See, the Bible says that in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. So it's a win-win situation. If we're going to have exceptional faith, we need to make sure that we find our strength in the Lord. The Lord is my strength. Did her situation change? No, she did. Here's the deal, y'all. When we're dealing with faith, a lot of times the circumstance isn't going to change. But we can change. If we can just change our perspective, it makes all the difference. The Lord is my strength. And last week we went into the letter A, exceptional faith, act like a believer. And that's important. It's very important. And, and I love how Pastor Tom used the illustration of Superman. And so often we assume that Superman was the alter ego when in fact Clark Kent was the alter ego. And it's kind of funny as you think about it, but if we find our strength in the Lord and we believe that the Bible is true, then we can act like Superman in every situation of our life. We can walk in health. We can walk in life. We can walk in joy, even when it doesn't look like it. Well, I don't want to pretend. I'll tell you what, when you're dealing with faith, it feels like you're pretending a lot of the time. But I would rather pretend to have life than death. I would rather pretend to have joy than sorrow. I would rather pretend to have more life than death than the opposite. 
Here's the deal. When we act like a believer, when we act like we are what God says we are, man, things happen in your life. Act like a believer. And today we're going to talk about I, not me, but the letter I. Increase your praise. If you're going to have exceptional faith, you're going to need to increase your praise. And I think that this week is very important in the series. I really do. I think that a lot hinders on you being able to increase your praise. I think finding your strength and acting like a believer are important. But if you don't learn to increase your praise, you can't move on and your faith will be hindered. We need to have exceptional faith to do what God's called us to do. We need to have exceptional faith to be who he's called us to be. We need to have exceptional faith to believe God for the families that aren't close to God so that they would be come back in. We need exceptional faith, and you're going to need to learn how to increase your praise even when it doesn't look good. We have to increase our praise. As I was thinking about this, um, I started thinking about the history of our church, the garden and the different places that we've been. And I remember when we started. What's funny is, we didn't start here in this building. We didn't start over on Clearwater. We didn't even start over in Pasco. We started in the basement of somebody's house. And uh, uh, how many people were here in the basement days? There's some out there, Keith and Lene, Todd. Yeah, 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 in the basement days. And I'm going to give you the, the Stephen Fields perspective of this. So this isn't everybody's perspective. This is my perspective. So uh, I'm the one with the mic. I get to tell the story. And this is how it's going to go. Uh, I remember being there a couple times. I don't think we were there every time, me and my brothers. Um, but, but I remember a, a few handful of families would meet in the basement of somebody's house. And they'd begin to believe God and begin to pray. Um, and they just were believing God that, hey, we don't know what's next, but we're going to put ourselves in a position to be able to do whatever he calls us to do when that door opens. And I remember the few times that we got to go, and, yeah, you know, my dad, uh, he plays the guitar really well, and he's an amazing worship leader. And, and, and so he would bring his, his gear. He'd bring his guitar and his amps. And I remember because we're boys, we'd have to help lug stuff in. And, and I remember asking, why are we going to the basement? Why would we not stay on the upper levels where we don't have to carry the amps all the way downstairs and we don't have to carry the guitars all the way back upstairs? And I remember sitting downstairs and wondering, why are we sitting here praying? Like, what are we doing? I remember sitting here wondering, is he ever going to stop playing the guitar? Are we ever going to go home? Obviously, this isn't getting very far. It's the same people showing up every week. Like, what are we doing? And, and it wasn't until we had our first service in the Pasco building uh, down there off of 10th Street, I believe. It wasn't until we had our first service that the basement came full circle. It wasn't until that first service when I think a little over 200 people showed up to the very first service. And I'm standing in the back going, oh my gosh, we have a mega church. Like, look at this, all these people. And it wasn't until that moment that the basement, man, it, it made sense now. The, the, it was like the story came full circle. And I remember the Pasco campus, it had its ups and its downs. I remember in order to get to the campus, we had to park our cars across the street. And when you parked across the street, you had to walk past this chain link fence with this pit bull in it. And this pit bull would rush to that gate and just, ah, I mean, and you're like, oh my gosh. And you have to remember if you're going to invite somebody to church, you have to hopefully they get past the pit bull because it, it was a deal. I mean, that's where the parking was at. And, 
Yeah, I remember uh, us as, as kids, we were just kids, I think it was middle school, and, and I remember we would get to the church so early because we had to set up. It wasn't our building, so we'd have to set up, and then we'd have to tear down, and, and I remember we'd get there early to help set up, and then we'd have time on our hands, so we would walk down to the gas station, and I remember one Sunday or Saturday night, we did Saturday nights because the church that we were using did Sundays, and we weren't going to mess with their stuff. That's how we started Saturday night services, and uh, I remember I went to him one Saturday night, and I said, hey, we're going to go to the gas station. Do you want anything? And I did that because I needed money. So I knew if he would want something, he would hand money over, and we could all get snacks. And uh, he said, yeah, get me a water that I can set on my podium when I'm preaching. I said, you got it. That's easy. So we, we make our way to the gas station, and, and I'm in there, and I'm looking at all the options, and I see they have this deal. It was like two for five or something like that. And there was this, like these two liter water bottles. And I'm like, he's going to be so proud. I'm getting, I'm saving money. I'm getting the more bang for my buck. I'm, a, I'm excited. So I remember we get it. We go back, walk past the pit bull, cross the street, go into the sanctuary. And I said, hey, here's your water. And I mean, it's like as big as my forearm. And he was so mad at me that I gave him a gallon of water to set on his podium. Like, he's going to have to go like this. And I, I remember those times. And it was fun. It was fun. But sometimes you would sit there and, and you would just look at it. And you'd go, there's got to be more than this. There's got to be more. And I remember when we moved to the Clearwater campus. And that's when I realized the church planning really sucked. Because we would, if we weren't at school or football or sports, we were at the church scraping tile with a hammer and a chisel and it was just like this is terrible my back hurts my man my hands are hurting me and I don't know if you guys were with us when we were at the Clearwater campus but you would not believe what you would have saw what we did with that building when we renovated it and I mean you walk into a, our sanctuary uh, w w was not as big as this near as big but when you first walked in it was from from ground to ceiling of storage I don't know how they fit that much stuff in that small of a space, but they did, and, and man, we did work in it, and I remember moving back from college, and, and it was the year that we decided, see, we had to do Easter services in the convention center every year, because we couldn't fit that many people in our sanctuary, but this was the first year that we decided, hey, we're going to cancel that, and we're going to do Easter, and I, and I remember standing in our sanctuary on Easter service, and every one of our services were packed, and the Pasco building the Pasco series kind of came full circle. It made sense. This is what we're doing. This is where God has us. And then I remember when we came here. And I remember this building. And I remember us walking around the building believing God for it. I mean, this is bigger than anything we've ever looked. I mean, this is crazy, right? And, and we just believe in God and walking around, praying circles around the building. And God worked on our behalf. And we got the building. And I remember the demo we did in here. We showed up at 6 in the morning and stay until 1 or 2 a.m. just so we could finish the demo on time. And uh, I remember all the things that we had to do, whether it was scraping carpets or taking walls down. We had to set up and tear down every Saturday and Sunday because we did service in the G Kids uh, room over there. And every week the room got smaller and smaller because they'd add another wall or they'd do something. And pretty soon it was like, we're going to need to do like 10 services if we're going to fit everybody in here and tear up and tear down. Tear Tear up and tear down, chairs in, chairs out, stage in, stage out. And there's moments that we've had here at this building that make all that worth it. That the story comes full circle, whether it's Easter services and the rooms are packed or 
whether it's the line of hundreds of people that are coming to this place to get groceries or it's the stories you hear of kids that got a bike one day and then, man, they're going to remember this church forever because somebody gave them a bicycle. It's amazing how the story, when it comes full circle, it makes sense. And, you know, when you're speaking, sometimes it can get frustrating because there's pieces of the story that maybe you didn't hit. Maybe there's something, uh, like last night I was running over my notes with some buddies and I just said, man, I, I wanted to hit this and I didn't hit this. And well, why? Because maybe it would cause someone to connect and it would come full circle. The story might come full circle. And um, it can be frustrating sometimes when people come to the church and they assume something about us or they make assessments about how we do things. And it can be frustrating because they don't know the story. They don't know the whole story. They how could they? And I think it's very important, like Joshua, that we remind people of the story. That we remind people of the sacrifices that were made. We remind people of the things that we've been through to get to where we are at. There's more to the story. Everybody say, there's more. Okay, we're going to have to do better than that. There's more to the story. And I want to share some things with you. There's a you don't have scripture, so you're just going to have to believe everything that I say. Um, there's a story in 2 Kings chapter 4. And it's the story of the Shunammite woman. And not a lot of people know the story of the Shunammite woman. And that's why we started the church for people like you who don't know the story of the Shunammite woman. Because many people know the story of David and Goliath, and many people know the story of the splitting of the Red Seas, and many people know the story of the feeding the 5,000 hungry people, but not many people know the story of the Shunammite woman. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 8, it starts and says, Once, while Elisha was in the town of Shunam, he met a rich woman who invited him to her home for dinner. After that, whenever he was in Shunam, he would have a meal there with her and her husband. Sometime later, the woman said to her husband, I'm sure the man who comes here often is a prophet of God. Why don't we build him a small room on the top flat of our house? We can put a bed, a table, and a chair, and an oil lamp in it. Then whenever he comes, he can stay with us. Everybody say, there's more to the story. This is something I've began to learn as I grow in leadership and leading people and even pastoring and especially in youth ministry. You begin to learn that there's more to the story. A lot of times when people come up and they tell you a story, you need to realize they're not telling you the whole story. They're telling you their side of it. And you see this a lot when it comes to youth ministry and some kid comes up and says, man, that kid over there just hit me in the ball with the face or hit me in the face with the ball. And you're like, he just hit you in the face with the ball, you're like, yeah, he just did it. Why'd he do it? I don't know. He probably doesn't love God. He's, I don't know what he did. You know, he's a sinner or something. And, and you're like, that's it. He just, he, well, yeah, but we have to realize there's more to the story. And a lot of times you find out that the kid that got hit in the face was, was putting people in headlocks and was pushing people to the ground and he just got payback. There's more to the story. And we have to remember that we can often find ourselves in a mess if we dive into situations not knowing there's more to the story. We can hurt ourselves if we dive into situations and we don't realize that there is more to the story. We live in a world that has confused stories with snaps. 
There's a thing called Snapchat. Some of you know what it is, some don't. It's an app that you can show little pieces of video or pictures and they'll disappear. And I don't use Snapchat, I have it, but I don't use it. I'm more of an Instagram person. I like Facebook, but I'm pretty heavy in Instagram. And even Instagram and Facebook, they have stories. But those aren't stories. Those are scenes. That, that's not the whole, there's more to the story. That is a scene, and we have to realize that we can't judge a story based off of a scene. Listen, you can't judge someone's story based off of a scene that you see. A lot of times, people will walk into a scene of your life, and they think they know the whole story. But they don't know the whole story. They just know what they're getting a glimpse of, a snippet of. And see, oftentimes when we read our Bibles, I feel like this is where we're at. We don't read our Bibles to know the whole story. We oftentimes read our Bible to stay on the surface level. We stay very surface level when we read our Bible. Yes, we know the story of David and Goliath, but it's so surface level. A lot of times like, yeah, David killed Goliath and you can lose weight too. And that's where we stay. But there's more to the story. There's more to the story. We need to know that God found David in a field. We need to know that. Why? Because if you don't understand that, then you can't understand his victory. There's more to the story. Yes, David got five smooth stones and a slingshot, and he stood before Goliath, and he swung it over his head, and boom, he hit David or Goliath right between the eyes and killed him. But that's not where the story ends. There's more to the story. David picks up Goliath's sword and cuts David's head off. Well, why do we need to know that? Goliath's head off. I did that last night too. <laughs> David cuts Goliath's head off. We need to know that. Why? Because oftentimes the thing that the enemy uses to destroy you is the thing that God will use to deliver you. We need to know that. There's more to the story. We need to know that David took the sword and gave it to a priest. And the priest took that sword and put it in the temple. Why do we need to know that? So that years later, when David is running for his life, and he says, I need a weapon, and the priest says, all I have is the sword that you took from Goliath, we need to know that the assignment you're in now is dependent on your future. That you completing the assignment will open up victory in your life in the future. That what you do today for God will be waiting for you in your future. There's more to the story. We need to know this. Oftentimes when we read our Bible, we say things like, well, what does that mean to you? And can I just tell you, I don't care what it means to you. I need to know what the writer meant and who he was writing to and why he was writing it because that is what the Spirit of God is trying to say to me in this moment. We need to go deeper into there's more to the story. There's more to the story. Stephen, I'm not sure how this kind of comes in with increasing your praise. I know. Just wait. <laughs> Give me a second, okay? <laughs> We're just getting started. Don't judge a scene based off of, or don't judge a yeah, story based off of a scene. There's more to the story. Because like we'll look at a scene of Joseph's life, and he's in a pit. And we'll look at another scene of Joseph's life, and he's in prison. 
But if we look at another scene of his life, at the point where the culmination of his calling all comes together and he's in the palace saving many lives, you can't judge a story based off of a scene. Jesus was in a manger, but he didn't stay in a manger. The Bible says that he grew in wisdom and favor and stature with men, that he preached in the temples with more authority than the teachers of their day, that he went and he healed the blind, he made the lame to walk, he made the deaf to hear, that he hung on a cross. But that's not the story one Saturday when the enemy's having a party, but come one Sunday morning when Jesus rose from the dead. That's the story. Don't judge a story based off of a scene. Don't judge a story based off of a scene. And here we are, and we have the Shunammite woman. And she builds a room. One version says she added another story. She went to her husband and said, we ought to add another story. She's beginning another story. We need to realize that it was a small thing. She started as a meal. Hey, let's make him a meal. And then we can just tell him whenever he comes back, we'll have dinner waiting for you. And finally she said, hey, I think this is a man of God. We should do something for him. So they added a story on top of the house and said, hey, you can come be with us whenever you want. We need to remember that what we tell people is often determined by how we trust. How much of the story we tell is determined by how much we trust. We should not always tell everybody the whole story. There's three parts to every story, where we start, where we stop, and what we skip. A lot of us could learn something about the skipping part. We don't need all those details. I don't need to know how many quail crossed the road. I don't need to know what color they were and that the sun was. I just need to know the point. Talking to my wife. Here's what's interesting about the story. It says that she was a prominent woman. It says that she was a prominent woman. She had money. And that she decided to build a, another story. She had a nice house. She had a big bank account. She probably drove a Range Rover 2019. Sport mode, black rims. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about? Red stitching in the leather. Let's <laughs> uh, take a minute and believe. Exceptional faith. Uh, it says she was a prominent woman, but you know things don't tell the whole story either. You might have a big bank account, but you might be empty inside. I mean, you might have nice clothes, but man, you might not have everything together. Things don't tell the whole story. It doesn't matter what you wear. God can still, man, work in your life. And she's a prominent woman, but what's interesting is Elijah goes and he, he lays down in this bed that she made for him. And he asks his assistant, he says, what can we do for her? What can we do for this woman? And she's thinking, what can I do for him? And he's thinking, what can I do for her? And she, all she's wanting to do is do something nice for the man of God. And she doesn't know that God's trying to do something for her. Because little did, this, did Elijah know, but this woman is barren. The, her husband's old, and she hasn't been able to have kids. See, there's more to the story. The story doesn't start when she makes a meal for him. It started years ago when she and her husband begin to try to have kids, and it doesn't work out the way that she thought. It, the story starts years ago when 
She's buying all the pregnancy tests and having to throw them away because, man, I want a baby, I want a baby, but it's just not working. See, there's more to the story. Elisha says, what does she want? And she said, I don't need anything. I'm with my people. I'm good. And I think we can learn something from that, that God isn't Santa Claus, that we shouldn't be trying to do things for him so that we can get things out of it. That God is more than just something for you. He's more than a savior. He's more than a, he is our Lord. He is our master that we should just do this because we love God and are called by him. What can I do for you? She said, there's nothing you can do. And the assistant says, she's barren. And Elisha says, by this time next year, you'll have a baby boy. She said, don't say that. She said, don't lie to me. Every, anybody ever have somebody promise you something and you're like, it's just too good to be true. True. Don't even say it. Like, don't even say it unless you're gonna do it. Because I can't go through the letdown of you not. And she said, "Don't, don't lie to me." He said, "You're gonna have a baby boy this time next year. That time next year, and she has a little baby boy." And that's the story of the Shunammite woman. God's faithfulness in her life. That when you make room for God, He'll do things for you that you can't do on your own. That when we give to God, he gives back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's the story of the Shunammite woman. But here's what we need to know, that there's more to the story. There's more to the story. See, a lot of times, preachers like to stop right there, because that's really easy to preach. That sounds good. We feel good. Hey, when I do something for God, here he comes on my behalf. And when I give to God, he's going to give back to me, pressed down, shaken together. God is good. He's faithful, and he's always going to be faithful. It's easy to preach except for the fact that that boy grew up working in the field one day with his dad. He says, man, I have a headache. He got, says he got weak. And the dad did what every good dad does. He says, take the boy to his mom. <laughs> so they take him to his mom and they set him in her lap. And right there, the boy dies. What? The promise of God died? The dream that God gave her died? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens, and what we have to be careful of is that we don't judge our story based off of a scene of our life. See, there's more to the story. There's more to the story. You might be in a scene right now that doesn't make sense where the dream that God has given you has died. But please remember that there's more to the story. I love what this lady does. Says she picks up her baby boy. She takes him upstairs to the room that she built. I love that. You know what she does? She finds her strength. She goes back to the place where God promised her. She goes back to where the word of God came to her for the first time. You will have a baby boy. I'm going back to the word of God. I'm going back. Why? Because the Lord is my strength. And if he promised it, he is sure to deliver it. Go back and find your strength. And then what does she do? She goes. She says, I'm getting on a donkey. I'm going to find Elisha. And as she's leaving, her husband comes up and says, what's going on? Is everything okay? What's, what's happening? And you know what she does? She acts like a believer. She says, everything is going to be all right. Get time out, though. Your boy just died in your lap. Time out, though. The business failed. Time out, though. We have no money in our account. I know, 
But I also know who my God is. I also know who my strength is. So I can walk in more life than death. I can walk in more peace than chaos. Everything is going to be all right. If you are going to have exceptional faith, you must act like a believer. You must find your strength. It says that she, on the way, she's making her way to Elijah, and Elijah looks out and sees her, and he says, hey, is your son okay? Are you okay? Is your husband okay? And again, she says, everything is going to be all right. She says, my son died. I need you to come back and fix this. Because <laughs> you promised. And he said, take my staff and go touch the boy's face. And I love this. So she fell at his feet. She wrapped her hands around him and said, I will not leave you. Can I tell you that in the darkest times, when nothing makes sense, the dream is faded, the promise doesn't seem to be there, that your only move is to hold on to the word of God? See, Elijah represented the word of God to her. God says, a year from now, you will have a boy. And can I tell you that one word from you don't need to know a whole scripture or a whole, a whole paragraph. You don't need to memorize a whole book. One word from God will pull you through the darkest of darks. And it will pull you through the hardest of hard times. One word from God. Don't ever let go of the word of God. Don't ever let somebody trick you into leaving the Word of God. I know it doesn't look like it's supposed to. I know this isn't the way it was planned out. But don't ever let go of the Word of God because it has the power to save your life, to deliver you. Long story short, Elijah sends his assistant to do what he asked the woman to do and it doesn't work. She comes back and Elijah says, okay, we're going. So Elijah and the woman, they head out, and they get to the place, and they go up to the story, to the room, and Elisha lays on the boy's body. The Bible says hand to hand, feet to feet, mouth to mouth, breathes into him. And it didn't even work the first time. Sometimes it won't go the way you think it should. But keep going says he did it a second time. He breathed into the boy, and the boy took a deep breath and sneezed seven times and stood up. And that's the story of the Shunammite woman, where God can take something that's dead and bring life back into it. He can take your story and your scene, and although it doesn't look the way it's supposed to, he can do amazing things in your life if you will just keep going, if you will find your strength, if you will act like a believer, and if you will increase your praise. Come on, give God a shout of praise if you believe it. Okay, sit back down, sit back down. I'm not done. How does this mean, how does this uh, increase your praise? I don't, well, here's the deal. For you to be in a scene of your life and to keep moving is to increase your praise. See, people won't understand your praise if they don't know your story. See, people often ask us here, why do you guys 
praise and worship? Why are you guys so extravagant when you pray? Why do you yell so much and move so much? Well, because you don't know the whole story. Because at one point, this guy was on the hospital bed, died six or seven times in a night. At one point, this lady had cancer with a baby in her body. At one point, this family was burying their little girl, but now they're walking in more life than death. Now they're standing on God's word. Now they're walking in the fullness of his calling for their life. His family is here in the church. You don't know the story. can't understand my praise if you don't understand my story. You want to increase your praise? Move on to the next scene. Don't get out of character. Keep acting like a believer. Make sure you know who your strength is. I love the story of the Sunamite woman. Did, did you know it's, there's actually more to the story? Chapter 8 says that Elisha told the woman, God has called a famine in the land for seven years. You need to get up and move. You tell me that God caused a famine? Yeah. The same God that can bless you in the, when the economy is good is the same God that will bless you when the economy is bad. Same God that will bless you when your friends leave you is the same God that will bless you when your friends love you. Don't limit God. The miracle isn't, he, isn't that he took them out of the famine, it's that he provided for them through the famine. So you guys need to move, go be a, a foreigner somewhere. So they did. What happened though is when they left, the government came and took all their land. <laughs> well, that doesn't make sense. And I love that when the, the Bible says that when the famine was over, that the Shunammite woman went to the king to get her land back. I love the initiative there. See, some of us here, are so busy talking to people who can't do anything about our problem when what you need to do is set up an appointment with the king and come get your joy back, come get your faith back, come get your vision back. Start talking to somebody who can actually do something about it. So she went to the king, but before she went to the king, the king is sitting there with Elisha's assistant. And he says, tell me about the, some of the cool things that Elisha has done. Tell me some of the things. She said, okay, well, let me tell you about the story. It's the story of a Shunammite woman. She begins to tell him the story, how she made a meal, built him a room. She was barren. God said, you'll have a boy. And one year, lady, one year later, she had a boy. And, but then the boy grew up, and then he died. And then the lady came to Elisha. She said, you need to fix this. She found her strength, and she acted like a believer. And she didn't let go of the word of God. And, they came back and Elisha breathed life into her and, the, and God raised the boy back up. And there was an amazing story. And at that moment, the Shunammite woman walks into the kingdom. Elisha's assistant says, I think that's the Shunammite woman. I think that's her. See, you might be in a place right now where you've been through a story. Man, you've been through some scenes of your life, but you're standing on the other side right now. And can I tell you the a one way for you to increase your praise? One way for you to increase your praise is to begin to tell your story. See, the Bible says in Psalms to build a well in the valley of weeping. That when you walk through the valley of tears, when you're going through a hard time to build a well. Why? So that when people come from behind you and they're on the same journey that you're on, 
and they hit a scene that you've been through, that they're sitting there with their mouth dry hoping to see something good, but they can get a drink of water and be refreshed and keep going to the next scene, that they don't have to stop. You need to begin to tell your story. It's not about us. It's not about what God's done for me. It's about what he wants to do through me. Don't stop. And here's what's cool. This is the story of the Shunammite woman. The king said, is this true? Is this story true? She said, yeah, it's true. Told him the whole story. The king said, not only am I going to give you your land, your land back, but for every year that you are gone, we're going to repay you. See, there's some things that the enemy has tried to take from you. Whether it's a dream, whether it's a business, whether it's a family, whether whatever it is, there's something that he's tried to take. And can I tell you that when you have exceptional faith, and when you begin to increase your praise, when you say, I'm not stopping on this scene, I'm gonna keep going. Not only am I going to keep going, but I'm going to make sure people that are coming from behind me, that people that are following in my footsteps, that they have something to drink when they hit that spot. That they're not there by themselves, but they know that, hey, we've been through it, and God is faithful, and he will be good to you. And I'm going to make sure that when you do that, yeah, the enemy has tried to take something, but I think the Bible says the enemy has to give back what he's tried to steal from you. And not only does he have to give back, but seven times what he took. He must give back. For every year that the woman was gone, the enemy had to try to take what was hers, but the enemy had to give back seven times what was hers. That's the story of the Shunammite woman, that when you are in a bad spot, when the scene doesn't look right, when the promise doesn't look reachable, don't worry, don't fret. The story's not over. That's what some of you need to know, that you're not at the end of the story. You're still in the middle of the story. This is just a scene. This is just a moment. There's more to your story. Just keep moving, keep walking, Make sure you have the Word of God in your life. Don't let go of it and know who you are. Keep acting like a believer. Everything is going to be all right and begin to increase your praise. And God is sure. He is duty-bound to make sure he does what he says he will do. That is the story of the Shudamite woman. There's more to the story. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here, and you can relate to the Shudamite woman. Maybe not to the whole story, but maybe a scene. Maybe you're at the scene where the promise, the dream has, has died. The thing that man, you've been believing God for for so long, and now it's not there. Or maybe it's the scene where, man, everything was good, and then it's all been taken away. Maybe you're hearing the scene of your life right now, and this isn't what God promised. I'm not experiencing more peace than chaos. I'm experiencing more chaos than peace. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy, but just lift your hand in the air so that I can see it and agree with you. There's hands all over the room. Just, just throw your hand up so I can know who I'm believing God with. God, we thank you that you are good, that you are a good, 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 good God, that we don't have enough words to describe how good you are. God, we thank you 
that your word is firm, that it will never fail us, that we can have full trust to put everything we have into it because it has never let us down. God, I thank you for the people who are going through a scene right now and the scene isn't lining up with what the story should be. God, I thank you that we know who wrote the story, that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. God, I thank you that we can lean not in our own understanding, but in all our ways we will acknowledge you and you shall make our path straight. God, I thank you that although the scene is not right, the story is not over. And God, what the enemy meant for evil, you can use for good in the saving of many lives. God, I thank you for every people whose hands are lifted. God, that the story is not over, that they're just in the middle. God, I thank you for the strength to keep walking. God, I thank you for the wisdom to know where to go. I thank you that the word of God is going to come alive on the inside of them like never before to lead them and direct them and be a lamp unto their feet. God, I thank you right now that they will win because if we do not quit, we win. God, I thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, with every eye closed and head bowed, I need you to know that for some of us, the story hasn't began yet. See, the story begins when we give our lives to Christ. The story really begins when we say, yes, God, I'm going to do this your way. I'm going to live for you. Maybe you're here and you're ready for your story to begin. You're ready for it to start. I want to give every single person the opportunity to get their life right with God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand in the air right for me right now? I just want to pray with you. You're not going to get called out. You Thank you right there. Is there anybody else? Just throw your hand up in the air. God, I want to get my life right with God. Thank you. Is there anybody else? Come on, just throw your hand up in the air wherever you're at. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Come on. Come on. I just want everybody to repeat this after me. Say, God, I love you. And I thank you for giving your son to die on the cross for me. Today, I make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life. Come into my heart. Make me new. Make me clean. And I choose to live for you and live your story in my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. In the mighty name of Jesus, everybody said amen. Come on, give God a round of applause right now. <laughs>